for one. There are two things I believe that the Bible is given to us for. One is to show us how to be saved, to show us our need of a Savior and how to be saved. And the other, I believe, is to teach us how to live once we are saved. And I've mentioned that a few times, several times, and I believe that the Bible is written for those two basic reasons. There's many more reasons I'm sure you could put together, but if you took a very high-level view of what, uh, what the Bible's purpose is, I believe it would be for those two reasons primarily. And uh, so, you know, in the afternoon services on Sunday afternoons, I um, probably make the assumption that I shouldn't make, and that is that most, if not all, people that are here in the attendance are saved and on their way to heaven. You've trusted Christ as your Savior, although I know that that's not always to be the case, and sometimes uh, we still need to deal with that topic, even among people that have been in church for many, many years but uh, I want to deal with some issues about how we're to live once we are saved, what our attitude towards sin ought to be. And uh, we're going to look at some things here in Romans chapter number 1, and we're going to begin in verse number 18. Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all... Do we see that word there? All what? ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What is God's heart on sin? Well, He's wrathful towards it. He's judgmental of it. Uh, Notice what He says here, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." And change the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible, like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Father, we pray that you will give your assistance and aid this morning and this afternoon. Lord, I cannot preach the message that you would have for the hour if you do not speak to the hearts of men. And so I pray that you will give wisdom and guidance in the words that I say, that your Holy Spirit will move inwardly, and Lord, that there would be a confirmation of truth in the hearts of those that hear. So often we hear things like this, our inclination is to brush it aside or to uh, deny that it is the truth. Lord, may we understand it to be truth, and may we hold to it. And I pray that you would help us to have a renewed vision, uh, some clarity of sight and things that perhaps have become blurred. In the generation that we live in today, I pray that you would guide and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin in verse number 18, we find that God's wrath is against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness. And the reason for this is because God is a holy God. He is a just God. And the Bible teaches so often that uh, the the inclination of men, the, the, the propensity of men is to take the idea of God and to bring Him down to the level of men. 
And we believe that many times that uh, rather than believing that he's holy, we believe that he's a good God. And he's just mostly holy or mostly righteous. But, you know, we don't realize the impeccable holiness of God. That there is, the Bible says, no darkness in him at all. There's, there's not even a spot of the world on him. There's not a spot, a spot of sin in him. And because of his absolute pure holiness, his absolute pure righteousness, any sin of any nature is, is appalling to him. I shared a, a while back, uh, I was on a youth trip a number of years ago uh, with some teenagers, and they were discussing a movie they had recently seen. And uh, as I began to try to steer the, the conversation in a different direction, because I didn't want them talking about Hollywood movies uh, on a youth activity of all things, uh, they both they all chimed, chimed up and said, well, Brother Greg, this was a good one. This was a good movie. It only cussed. And then they told me how many cuss words were in it. And I thought, where in the world do we get excited over a movie only having one or two cuss words in it? I was coming back uh, from Florida yesterday and uh, Thursday, or I'm sorry, Friday and Saturday. We left Florida. We were paying four dollars and thirty-nine cents a gallon yesterday. Uh, uh, when I left there, when I got to Tennessee, uh, just as we were getting ready to leave yesterday morning, and we went to go fill up, and I mean, I was excited. I went to get to the, to the gas station because I was excited that gas was only three dollars and ninety-nine cents at that gas station. And then it dawned on me: Why am I excited about this? This is not a good thing. And I thought of that as I thought of this message this morning. We tend to, because of how vile and wicked the world gets, we tend to get excited when things are only a little bit vile and ungodly. And our nature begins to get excited over a movie that only has a little bit of nakedness in it, or a little bit of cursing in it, or a little bit of immorality in it. It only has this little spot. It only has this little bit. Paul, in writing here, says that to God, all of it is bad. Every spot in it is bad. Now, notice what he says here. And I don't want you to misunderstand something, because one of the things we're going to teach today through this passage is we are to love the souls of men, but we are not to love the sin of men. Very important that we grasp that understanding. We are to have an eschewing of evil. The Bible talks about it. And in fact, when God was bragging on Job uh, to Satan, uh, he says, Have you considered my servant Job? Talked about him being an upright man and one who eschewed evil. He hated evil. He, couldn't, he, he despised it. He detested it. And so the Bible tells us in verse 18 that uh, this wrath of God, this, this, uh, that, that God's anger, his, his wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, and and somebody could come back and say, well, Paul, uh, what about those that don't have the truth, and they're 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 sinning because they don't know there's a God, they don't know there's righteousness. Well, God, uh, Paul has an answer for that. But God has an answer for that through the Apostle Paul in verse number nineteen. And I want you to notice this, because that which may be known of God, that which may be known of God, in other words, all the things that man is able to know about God. That which may be known of God is, 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 not might be, but is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. If any person comes out and says, 
I, I'm just made this way, and they're talking about their sin, they're lying. Everything that can be known about the righteousness and holiness of a holy God is manifest in every man. I've known missionaries and heard stories of missionaries that have gone to some of the darkest tribes, tribes where white men had never been before to evangelize them, and they are in their tribes worshiping a deity. What causes that to happen? It may not be the one true God, but there is an innate desire in man that is born in us. It is instilled in us by instinct and by nature that we are to search for God. There are things that we can see. And notice he says in verse number 20, he says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world, of the things that we don't see about Him, His righteousness, His holiness, um, His long-suffering, His kindness, the attributes of God, if you will, the things that we cannot see of God. Notice what it says in verse 20, The invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Wait a minute. If, if they're invisible, how can we clearly see them? Notice he says this, "...being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead." You say, well, what about a person who's never heard about God? Can they understand things? The Bible tells me that they have the ability to understand His eternal power, and they have the ability to understand His Godhead. And the Bible says this, and Paul says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, "...so that they are without excuse." You say, what about those that never hear the gospel? It is an innate part of man to seek God. His eternal righteousness, his eternal holiness. A man that deviates from God has to be taught to move from those things. A man that claims to be an atheist or an agnostic has to be taught those things. Why? Because God says that he puts the ability of this to know God in every man. It's in part of us. Look what he says in verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain. You see that word there? But what? Became. You see that word there? But became vain. They didn't start out their life this way. There came a point in every man's life that has ever been born that has a sense of reason. I'm not talking about people that maybe are developmentally disabled and never reach a point of, uh, of reason and understanding. The Bible teaches very clearly that they are of innocence. But those that hit an age of reason and understanding, there's a point in every person's life, every one of us, that we know God of some, in some form or fashion. We know that there is a God. We know that there's one to be sought out and to be longed for and to be sought after. And it says that when they knew Him as God, they glorified Him not as God. And so uh, the Bible says here in verse number 21 that because of this, they were not thankful that because of this, they became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. You say, how does a person get so dark in their heart that they do not believe that God even exists? There was a point in their life where they chose. It may have been at a very, very young age. It may have never been verbalized with anyone else. But it was there. Either that took place or this book is not true in this passage because the Bible tells me very, very clearly Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in 
them. If it's even possible to be knowing God, it is made manifest, it is made open, it is made apparent, it is made clear in them. Every single man has this ability. And because they do not accept God, they reject Him. Because they are not thankful for this gift that God's given to them to know Him, that they become vain in their imaginations. They are made to have darkness in their heart. So don't let a man ever tell you that I am the way I am because God made me this way. And they're saying that to excuse their sin. It's not the case. They willingly made the choice somewhere along the line. Notice it says in verse number two, 22, professing themselves to be wise... They became fool. When, they, when their hearts were darkened and they began to start talking about the fact that God uh, doesn't exist or they start uh, talking, trying to excuse away God and maybe they've gone to uh, education uh, par excellence and have gotten all these degrees behind their names and now they're sought after as an expert on topics of uh, the supernatural and um, uh, things of spiritual natures. And these men get up and are interviewed on our liberal television stations and they explain away the Bible and they explain away the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They explain away salvation and they exalt man and his ability to overcome such things. Why? Because they profess themselves to be wise. And notice the Bible says this, when they did that, they became fools. And changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like unto a corruptible man. Does, not, does that not express the day that we live? Where we take a God that is uncorruptible in every way, there is no darkness in Him at all, and man tries to humanize Him and bring Him to the level of man, and we try to elevate man to the level of God. Where we are in charge of our moral standard. We are the ones who say, this is right or this is wrong. And God's standard has no, no, uh, no uh, emphasis, no weight, no strength in the decision-making process of a moral standard. This is what man does. And they call themselves wise when they do it. And the truth is, the Bible calls them fools. Wherefore, notice verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. I'm going to try to be careful here. I know we have some young people in the room, but they're living in a day where they're exposed to this all the time and they see it. But I will try to be very careful and discreet here. But the Bible says in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. Boy, isn't that the truth? We have become man-centric in everything we believe. We ought to be God-centric. Who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice this. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. Now, he's going to speak of some things here in just a moment. And I want you to notice how he's describing them. Uh, these churches that get up and say that the Bible does not speak to these sins, can I tell you this? They are not reading the same Bible that I am reading. Because when I read this, I find such descriptions as vile. That's a pretty strong word. Vileness of this particular sin. Notice, he says uh, that God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. Bible calls this sin of uh, homosexuality and lesbianism and all those letters that they give it, the LBGQ, HPN, LZBI, whatever, it doesn't matter. God lists that sin as vile affection. This is God's opinion of it, not mine. This is not hate speech. This is God saying this sin cannot be tolerated. In verse number 26, he describes very clearly what this sin is about. And verse number 27, and he says this, that they receive in themselves, they work that which is unseemly, first of all, this unseemliness, this distortedness, this immorality, that they receive the recompense of their error. God calls it an error here. He calls it vile. He calls it an error. At no point can a man who names the name of Christ or a woman who names the name of Christ say that this such sin is okay in God's sight. God never indicates that. We find here <coughs> that this sin is spoken of here as vile. It's spoken of as an error and that they are going to meet the recompense or they're going to get the reward for their error. They're going to be judged for that. Be sure, the Bible says, be sure the sin will find you out. And he says in verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, which, by the way, is typically one of the first things that happens before a person gets into this kind of sin. They will reject God. They won't like to retain God in their knowledge because there's no way for a man or a woman to go into sin and still acknowledge God as a holy being and think that God is okay with it can't do it. The only way that you can go into the kind of sin that this is speaking of here in the book of Romans is to deny the power, the right of God to set a moral standard, and really it's to, it's to minimize the holiness and the righteousness of God and to put God on a depraved and sinful level just like man. It's the only way you can do it. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind is one that is just full of wickedness. Um, it, it is morally despicable. I looked it up in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. That was the term that was used. Morally despicable, abhorrent, repulsive, utterly bad, contemptible. These are the words that the Webster's 1828 uses with the idea of a reprobate mind. Can I tell you that in no way can we read this and believe that God is okay with it? We get to the place in verse number 29, it says, "...being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness." Now, I want you to notice, he begins with the sin... Of, of sodomy and the idea of men and men and women with women and the idea of uh, immorality in a sexual and a sensual way, and the lustfulness of the flesh. He begins with that. He begins by speaking of God's view of this and in the same breath begins to list other things. Now let's look at these other things. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, fornication being any kind of Sin or, uh, sexual or sin, sensual sin outside of the bonds of marriage. 
The idea of being immoral. Well, I, we love each other. We've been dating for three years. We, we ought to be living together. We ought to be sleeping together. No, God calls it fornication. And we've lived in a day where even uh, it's acceptable even in our churches, even among God's people. We, we blindly turn the eye. We, 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 I'm not, now listen, and don't get me wrong. We're to love the person. We're to love the soul. We're to try to reach the soul. But we cannot condone their sin. I've heard Christian people say, well, as long as they're happy, you deserve to be happy. No, I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. My happiness is the grace of God being given to me in forgiveness of my sin. It is not so that I can go out here and live in the vileness of sin. It's not for me to go and shack up with someone and live in an immoral relationship. It's not supposed to happen this way. It says wickedness. This would be uh, things of a depraved nature, the vile um, imaginations of a man. Covetousness, longing, uh, desiring, having to have, and just got to have it and to the point where you would do anything to get it. <coughs> Maliciousness, doing things in a way that would be hurtful and harmful to someone. Full of envying. Now, we started with what sin? We started with the sin of sodomy. And we can all amen that. Boy, God's not for that. But He classifies that and categorizes that and uses that as a springboard and a launching board for an awful lot of other sins here, doesn't He? And while I may not have the first one in my life, as I go through this list, there are several I have to look at and say, whoops, what is God's view on it? Is He okay with it in my life? No, not at all. God despises it. And I encourage us today, we need to have a renewed view of the way God sees sin. Because even in our lives, I'm talking about Bible-believing. I'm talking about King James Version, Bible-believing, independent Baptists that will hold to the true doctrines of God's Word. Even you and I are susceptible to becoming lax on the way that we view the sin that is so vilely listed in Scripture. We begin to get comfortable with it. And it's all because we get used to All of a sudden, you'll find yourself rejoicing at $3.99 gasoline when it's not right to do so. And I use that as an analogy. I hope you understand the idea here that the world gets so vile, it waxes worse and worse, the Bible tells us that, to where when finally it's not quite as bad, we rejoice in it. And the truth is, it's still vile. It's still wicked in the sight of God and should have no part in the Christian's life. Does that mean we hate the person? No, we love the person. We want to try to help the person. We want, And hopefully, if I'm in that situation, I have people that love me and try to help me. And if you're in that situation, hopefully we have somebody that loves you in this church and wants to help you in this church. But we cannot, we cannot promote and condone the sin. We cannot put on Facebook, as long as you're happy, smiley face, No, no. We can tell them we love them and we're praying for them, but we cannot condone the sin, nor can we help them condone the sin themselves. Cannot do it, folks. We are living in a day where I am appalled at how many Christians are okay with sin, and they encourage their friends by saying, well, as long as you're happy, as long as it brings peace in your life, 
It's okay. That's all that matters. No, that's not all that matters. What matters is, what does God think of it? And what really matters is, am I thinking of it the way that God thinks of it? Notice he says here, so far we're, we're into some pretty big sins. I mean, we call these the big ones, right? In our, in our pharisaical Christianity, we call these the big sins. They're all sins, aren't they? Let's see what it says here. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envying. So far we don't probably, there's some of us here who probably say, well, I don't really have a, I may slip up on them every once in a while, but I don't really have a problem here. Uh, murder, I don't know too many people in here that have murdered anybody. If you have, I don't really want to know. It's under the blood, amen. <laughs> don't tell me. Uh, debate, debate. The word debate here doesn't mean that you don't sit and discuss ideas and, and that have merit, but talking about strife for the sake of strife. Being contentious. Uh, deceit. Malignity. Whisperers. Whisperers, those that would uh, spread falsities. Those that would go behind someone's back and speak evil of them. Uh, don't say anything to anybody behind somebody's back that you wouldn't say to their face. In fact, the best thing is go say it to their face first. Hopefully they'll get it fixed. And then you don't have to say it to anybody else. You do it in the spirit of love and consideration. Verse number 30, notice this. Backbiters. Oh, now we're starting to get... Oh, uh, Paul, you're getting a little close to my, my neck of the woods here. Backbiters. Haters of God. Despiteful. You ever you ever known somebody to hold a grudge? And uh, you, you you make the phrase or if if you're the one that has that problem. Oftentimes we make the phrase, "Well, I'll forgive, but I'll never what forget." You've been there, haven't you? Wow. Despiteful. Notice this, proud. You know, pride is as appalling to God as homosexuality and lesbianism and all that stuff that's going on today. We talk about the abomination of such sin. You know, the Bible says these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. You know what the very first one is before any of them? Proud book. Why do we not get so angry and up in arms and, and skew and hate the sin of pride? like we do some of these other sins. I mean, the sins we don't have are the ones we get the most angry at, aren't they? Those are the ones we get the strongest feelings for. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have those strong feelings. We should. What I am saying is the ones we do have, we should have those same strong feelings for. We should hate just as bad. We should try to get them out of our lives, not coddle them and try to hide them from the eyes of men so that we can keep doing them. But to say this is something that God sees... And by the way, He does see it no matter how much we try to hide it. He sees it, and we need to have the same view of it as He does. Paul, he's dealing with these Christians. These are the same people, by the way, that just a few verses ago he said, your faith is known throughout all the earth. So he's not speaking here to a degenerate group of Christians. He's speaking here to the faithful. He's speaking here to the people that said, we're, we're excited to hear you come, Paul, and preach to us. <clears throat> those that weren't ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These were folks that were in the seat 
of, of where persecution was going on and they were remaining faithful. And Paul's telling them these things. Lest we sit here and say, well, Pastor, we're Keith Heights Baptist Church. We read our Bibles. We pray. We love the Lord. We seek to walk with Him daily. I don't have such issues that I have to be concerned with. Oh, yes, we do. In fact, the time that we think we stand, Paul said, we need to take heed lest we fall. When we think we're the strongest in these areas are the times we ought to be most concerned with them. The proud boasters... You ever give God the glory and in doing so you boast about yourself? Praise God, I was able to go out here and donate $1,000 to somebody. Well, who did, that, who did that just glorify? We all do it, by the way. We like people to think highly of us. There's an innate nature of people that want people to think highly of them. Boasters, inventors of evil things. How about disobedient to parents, young people? You say, well, I don't commit some of these sins like murder. No, but do you disobey mom and dad? Whoo, wow. What does God think of that? He thinks it's vile. He thinks it's despicable. He thinks it's abhorrent. Repulsive. He thinks it's contemptible. Can I tell you this? Parents, all the parents, preach it, Pastor, preach it. My kids listening, preach it. Kids learn from example. They do. If we're not obedient to God in the other things, how do we expect them to be obedient to us? Now, should we still make them be obedient? Absolutely but all that we would be an example to them. For you see, we have an authority we're to to be an example to. I'm going to get real real pointed here. I'm going to hit a nerve. Don't dare expect one of your kids, or don't be angry at your kid for being disobedient to you when, when you're going down the street with your kid in the car going 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. And if they say something about it, oh, it's okay, it'll be all right, they don't give you a ticket till it's 20 over, what are you teaching them? Not to be obedient. By example, the Bible says to be subject unto the higher powers. In civil matters, we're to be obedient. Unless it's dealing with infringing upon our, our spirituality or our, our belief in God or our worship, we're to be obedient to our government officials. Well, preacher, you preach to my kids, these disobedient kids, these rebellious kids, what about our hearts? Not me, boy. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I don't care what the government says. And then we wonder why our kids are so stiff-necked and stubborn. Without understanding, verse number 31, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Now I want you to notice this in verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, 
but have pleasure in them that do them. We as God's people, we know what God's heart is on this issue, don't we? We know that His wrath is given to these things. And yet we do them anyway. You know that every time we sin, we do so willingly. You know, I need to rephrase that. There are times that people are ignorant of the fact that they're doing this in But even then, it's a willing choice to live the way they're living. I was listening to a fellow say this one time, and he said about a Christian, he said, you know, we talk about falling into sin. The truth is, no Christian has ever fallen into sin. Going about our way, in the way that God has led us, in the path, and all of a sudden, whoops, there's a sin, and we tripped over it. Didn't see it. Sorry, Pastor. I, I didn't even know it was there. Yes, we did. We saw it and we went right into it anyway. I want to encourage us to take a long, hard look. Maybe spend the week this week. Can we do that? Maybe in the mornings when we have our devotion time or whenever it is during the day, maybe in the evenings when we get to our Bibles. Why don't we take some time this week to reevaluate how we look at sin? We must take a stand for it. We must make sure that we're not involving ourselves in sin. We need to have compassion on those that have sin. We don't we don't kick them out and try not to do anything to help them. We try to reach them, but we cannot condone the sin. We don't tell people it's okay to have uh, a, a person in the pulpit that practices the homosexual lifestyle. We don't, we don't condone that. Does that mean we won't try to help that person get out of that and learn how sinful that is? No, we'll do what we can to help them. But we're not going to let them get up in the pulpit. We need to have a, we need to have a right view of sin. We need to have a brokenness for it. There needs to be a righteous anger. The Bible tells us in the passage of Scripture so often that I think is so misquoted, be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, is dealing, if you look at the passage, is dealing with the hatred of sin. And I think that verse is not teaching us not to be angry. I think that verse is teaching us to be angry at our sin and not let the sun go down on our wrath against sin. Because it says, be angry and sin not. Be so angry at the sin that it keeps us from it. Oh, that we would have a heart the way God's heart is on this. Did God love the sinner? Oh, so much that even while they were sinning, He died for them. Did He condone their sin? Oh, no, He did not. He passed judgment on it, didn't He? And we're to be like Christ. We must, we must condemn the sin and love the sinner. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, help us to know Your heart. As we study and look into Your Word, may we understand these truths. Lord, we're in need in the day we live for more and more people to, to know and to study Scripture on this subject. 
Because, Father, it's amazing how far we as Christians have followed down the road of being okay with this stuff. We've become desensitized to it. So, Father, help us. May we have a renewed view and a re- righteous view. May your, may your Word cleanse and purify our eyes as we look at these things and help us to see them clearly. And with the disdain and abhorrence that you have for it, may it keep us from the sin in our own lives. May we be helpful to those around us that are stumbling and having other things in their life that we can help them with. In Jesus' name we pray. Dismiss us with your blessings. Amen.